you have your Bibles open, you'll notice that Psalm 68 is a fairly long psalm in terms of words. It's just 35 verses, but um, it's a lengthier psalm than some of the psalms that we've studied together. So we won't be walking verse by verse through this psalm like we usually do, like we did last week with Psalm 67. Um, But what we'll do is uh, I want to read the first uh, six verses of Psalm 68. And then um, as we study this together, we'll see that the, the three main themes of Psalm 68 are introduced in these opening verses And so, again, like I I said earlier, keep your Bibles open because as we talk about those themes, we'll look at the other verses in the psalm, most of the other verses. So we will eventually just about read the whole psalm, but I'm not going to read the whole thing before before we study it together. Following God into the heavens. So Psalm 68 is believed to have been composed in celebrating moving the Ark of the Covenant from the home of Obed-Edom to the temple. Let's look at these first six verses. To the choir master, a psalm of David, a song. God shall arise. His enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As, ma- as wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him, father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So it's believed this psalm was written for the purpose of or reflecting on when David was able to transport the Ark of the Covenant that had been resting in the home of Obed-Edom for some time and have it sit in its rightful place in the temple. There were some, there was some episodes that happened along the way, as you know. And, and so as the, as the Ark makes its way to the temple, carried on poles. It, it ascends. It goes up the temple grounds, the uh, tabernacle grounds, and placed there in the Holy of Holies. So the ark, of course, we know, was meant to represent the very presence of God. And, and uh, the tabernacle, later the temple, was to be a representation of, of the heavens where God dwells. So the ark is there in the Holy of Holies and the Holy of Holies representing there the the heavens where God dwells and then there it is right with the people. So the people are dwelling with God and God is dwelling with the people. 
And that's what it was to represent. And Psalm 68 looks to this ascent of the ark and rejoicing in the ascent of the Lord, that the Lord is above all. He sits on his throne in the heavens above all. So the ark and and the tabernacle, later the temple, were visible representations then of God and of heaven. Just as we have visible representations, we have the Lord's Supper. It's a visual representation of the death of Christ. We have baptism. It's a visual representation of new life, new risen life in Christ. And so we we know in those things we don't place our faith in the in the elements of the Lord's table itself. We don't place our faith in the water of baptism itself. We we place our faith in the things that these things symbolize. The death of Christ, new life in Christ, risen life in Christ. In the same way, the people of Israel, that's the that's the way they were to look at the ark and the temple. They, they were not to really place their faith in the material of the ark itself or the material of the tabernacle itself. And, and in fact, there were times in the life of Israel that got them in trouble when they misplaced their faith, right? Because they, they would say, well, if the ark is, is with us, if, if God is with us, then we can, we, we can defeat anyone. We can live any, any way that we want to and we'll never be defeated and God showed them that that wasn't the case because it it wasn't the building material and the substance within the ark that they were to look to, but the ark was representing God and they were to look at the ark and think of God. Think of God. They were to look at the tabernacle and think of heaven, the temple, and think of heaven and place their faith there. So that's precisely how Psalm 68 is really written. It's looking at these visual representations, the ark ascending and being placed in the, its rightful place. And it's thinking, though, it's not thinking, though, of ark and tabernacle. It's thinking of God and heaven. It's watching the ark enter that sacred holy place and rejoicing that the Lord himself reigns in the heavens. So if you think about the last four psalms that we've studied, including tonight, just as Psalm 67 is sort of the culmination of Psalm 65 and 66, Psalm 68 is really the culmination of Psalm 67. If you recall that great missionary psalm we looked at, When all the earth has heard and and when all of God's people around the earth are rejoicing in him, then the earth will know Psalm 68. Then, Then we will be in, basically, Psalm 68 as God's people. So really, as I said previously, the, the first three verses kind of introduce the entire psalm, the, the three main themes that continue throughout the psalm we find in these first three verses. So we'll concentrate there, but then we'll pull in other verses as we talk about these. First of all, the first theme is God rises to his throne. God, the first words of the psalm, God shall arise. 
God shall arise. God may be ignored. He may be disputed, debated, neglected, rejected. But he shall rise. Meaning, God shall be recognized. He shall be worshipped. He shall be honored as God over all, by all. God shall arise. Now, the, the psalm declares this not as a, a possible or uh, almost probable, but as a fact. God shall arise. Maybe not in our timing, maybe not according to our timetable, but God shall arise. It's an indisputable, unchangeable, biblical fact, theological truth. You can deny that God exists. You can choose to not believe in him, but that will not keep him from rising. This is one of the things that in our autonomous-driven culture that we just simply cannot come to grips with is that we don't create our own reality. We don't create our own life after death. We, we don't create our own God. And those things are just myths. You can rejoice in God. You can love God. You can trust God because you know that when history is said and done, God shall arise. Look at verse 18 of Psalm 68. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. That is, behind you, receiving and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. Now, look with me over in Ephesians 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And beginning in verse 7, Ephesians 4, verse 7, Paul's writing, But grace was given to each one of us according to the the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, and now he's quoting Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he led host a he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. And Paul summarizes, "What in the world is that talking about?" So he says in verse nine, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also had descended into the lower regions into the earth? So he's talking about his death into the grave, into the tomb. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might feel all things. So Paul reads this psalm, he looks back and he reads this psalm as a prophetic word concerning Christ and his resurrection. That his resurrection accomplished those things. When God arose, he led these captives behind him free, his people free. 
and gave gifts to his people. And then he goes in in Ephesians and starts talking about those gifts that he gave to the church, to his people. So Paul sees this is about Christ. Therefore, that's the way we should read it. That this is talking to us about Christ when it says God shall arise. God shall arise and God did arise. Defeating death, conquering his foes, delivering every single one of his people. That is a glorious, historical, factual event. The literal, bodily resurrection of Christ. And when Christ rose, he inaugurated this thing called the kingdom of God. And upon Christ's return, the kingdom of God will be consummated. It will all be brought together. So there's a two there's a two part to this. God shall arise is looking at the resurrection of Christ. And when you look at the resurrection of Christ, then you look at the return of Christ. So God shall arise is also speaking of the return of Christ. He shall arise. And it's that resurrection of Christ that's the guarantee If you look back in the beginning of Psalm 68, God shall arise. The resurrection of Christ is the guarantee that everything else that comes in this psalm is going to follow because that happened. Paul would look back and say, that happened. Therefore, everything else that comes after those three words, God shall arise, is guaranteed to happen because it is rooted in, it's coming from the resurrection of Christ. That's the foundation. That's the certainty. That's where we plant our hope. That's where we we plant our faith when we read like we read the things that we read in Psalm 68. And you might think, well, I don't see that. I don't see that happening in the world. Well, we might not see it today, but we will see it. How do you know that? Because God rose and he will rise again in terms of his return. So the first thing, the first theme then of this psalm is that God shall arise. And if we are in Christ, then we come to the the second theme is he brings his people with him. You see there in verse 18 when it said, you ascended on high leading, he's in the lead, leading a host of captives in your train. So when he ascends, when God arises, he brings his people with him. That's the second main theme of this psalm. And in truth, if we are in Christ, we have been raised with him. And the scripture says, Paul says, already seated in the heavenly places. It's such a guaranteed certainty that you're going to heaven. Paul says, you can go ahead and consider yourself there. That's what baptism, by the way, is demonstrating. We have been risen with Christ, risen in Christ. So that goes back to his resurrection. We we have been raised to new life in Christ. And when Christ returns, we will rise, right? We will rise to meet him in the air, whether we are alive or asleep. We will rise to meet him in the air to life eternal. 
When God rises, he always brings his people with him wherever he goes. Jesus looked at the man on the cross, right? And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. I'll, I'll take you with me. That's where I'm going. He calls us all the time, doesn't he? If, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. God brings his people with him. So, because Christ has risen, we as his people, we rejoice today. But our joy will be full and complete when he returns. There's a joy that we have as a people of God today. But when all the world sees the king in his glory, oh, how we, the people of God, shall be glad and exult and be jubilant with joy. Look at verse 3. But the righteous shall be glad. They shall exult before God. They shall be jubilant with joy. I mean, just over and over, these uplifting, thrilling descriptions are being used of the people of God. When every knee bows and every tongue confesses Jesus as Lord... We who belong to God, we will absolutely be thrilled. We will celebrate. We will overflow with gladness. There is a joy. We have have just tasted joy in this life by knowing Christ, but there is a joy to come, a fullness of joy that is to come that we have yet to taste. A thrill like nothing we can compare. A bliss that is absolutely indescribable. And it is all due to Christ. It is all due to his resurrection. God shall arise. And when he does, the righteous shall be glad. The righteous shall be jubilant with joy. His triumphant return and the salvation of all his people. So the psalm says that's that's how the righteous are going to react when God arises. So just go ahead now. Go ahead now as his people and just start praising him now. That's what what you're going to do when he returns. And so look at verse 4. Sing to God. You're going to be glad. You're going to be filled with joy. It's all going to be because of Christ. So go ahead, sing to God. Sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exalt before him. Go ahead and praise him, the psalm says. Your redemption is drawing nigh. God is going to rise. But even before that glorious day, even before all of that joy and gladness that is to come, we who are the people of God, we experience the grace of God and the goodness of God all throughout this life. God has carried us and sustained his people all along the way. God's, God's not God, sitting in heaven and saying, well, I'm going I'm to keep all the good stuff and let, let you just struggle and barely make it through life and I'm keeping all this 
until you get to heaven. No, all along the way, God is being gracious to us and good to us and lavishing us with grace. In fact, that's one of the reasons why we feel so certain and have so much hope and faith in our final salvation that we will indeed arrive in heaven in glory with Jesus because we've known him to be a shepherd in our life now. We know him to be present with us in our troubles and trials on on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So we're learning how to trust him for eternity because he's proven over and over, week by week, year by year, month by month, that he's our God, he's our Savior, he's our Father. So look at verse 5. Father of the fatherless, protector of widows, is God in his holy habitation. The weakest among us The most vulnerable among us have known the care and the provision and the fatherhood of God. Verse 6, beginning of verse 6, God settles the solitary in a home. The, The lonely among us have found God to be their home, have found God to be Christ, to be the one who never leaves them or forsakes them, who have found in Christ a a reason To not be lonely anymore. Second part of verse 6. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity. There again talking about setting the captives free there. But the rebellious dwell in a a parched land. So all of us who, who were at one time imprisoned in our sin. We have known the power of God to set us free. From the shackles of sin and despair and hopelessness. That bound us. Christ, because He is risen, He is the Savior, has moved us from being spiritually imprisoned to spiritually prosperous. We are changed. The Bible describes us that way prisoners to prosperity. He leads us out that way, He moves us that way. I thought about it. I don't know if you've I don't know if you've ever watched the movie Shawshank Redemption. It's about this guy that escapes from prison, right? One of the characters in there, his name is Red. Morgan Freeman plays the character Red. And I like Red. I don't know if you like him or not, but I like Red. He says when they're in prison, hope is a dangerous thing. Don't have hope. And when he gets out of prison, One of the last things he says is, I hope. I hope. That's a a great illustration of the difference that Christ makes. How he transfers us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Sets us free from the power and shackles and penalty of sin. And gives us hope. And life and salvation. Verse 7 Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness. So God's watchful eye and sustaining hand has been known throughout the history of his people. It's not like this is something new and something God has never done before. So you just got to kind of go with it and, and hope that it's going to be true. Because you can look back in history and 
Again, thank the Lord that we have a Bible in English in our own language that we can read and see how throughout history God is, has carried his people. That's his nature. That's his reputation with how he relates to his people. That's what verse 7 is all about. Look at verse 10. Your flock found a dwelling in it, that is, in the wilderness. In your goodness, O God, you provided for the needy. I'm, in, in reading through the, the Bible, I'm reading through numbers now and reading through those accounts of how God provided, how the people complained all the time, right? Don't have anything. I wish we had wish we had garlic and onions back in Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. We don't have anything to drink. Why'd you bring us out here to die? And over and over, God, every day God provided meat and bread and water from the rock. Your flock found a dwelling in a wilderness. A desert. How's that? How'd that happen? It was your goodness. You were being good to them. You were providing for them. God has a history of caring for his people. That gives us the confidence that God's not just caring for us today and going to forget about us tomorrow. He has an eternal plan of salvation for us. Look at verse 19. This is a great verse for all of us, by the way. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Isn't that a wonderful verse? Blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. What keeps you going? What keeps me going? What keeps me believing? What doesn't let me give up? It's God. He daily bears us up. God is our salvation. The anchor holds in spite of the storm, right? His daily sufficient sustaining grace. If God has brought us this far, without exception, he shall bring us with him into his everlasting kingdom. Look at verses 24 through 28. So this is rejoicing now. God's daily has daily borne us up, and now we're rejoicing in going into his presence. Your procession is seen, O God, the procession of my God, my King, into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians last, between them virgins playing tambourines. Bless God and the great congregation, O Lord, O you who are Israel's fountain. Listen to these words. There is Benjamin, the least of them. Where's he at? In the lead. The princes of Judah in their throne. The princes of Zebulun. The princes of Naphtali. Summon your power, O God. The power, O God, by which you have worked for us. God shall arise. And he always brings his people with him. Look back to verse 20. Our God, and we can sing this, church. This, is, this psalm is for us. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord, 
belong deliverances from death. Every single one of us, that verse was made for us to sing. Why? Because God has risen. All of this confident hope that we have is rooted in the very first words of the psalm, God shall arise, and he has. And so he has conquered death, and so he will, in him, has conquered our death as well. He, he is the Lord, and to him belongs deliverances from death. He, he is the one who does this. That's what the whole raising Lazarus from the dead was about, right? To show you, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never die. Though he die, yet shall he live. He brings his people with him. But not only will God ultimately save every one of his people into everlasting glory, he will defeat every single one of his foes. And that's the third theme that's carried out through this psalm. No power on earth can oppose him. So look back with me at the last part of verse 1. Verse 2. His enemies shall be scattered. Those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked shall perish before God. No power on earth will oppose him. He shall arise. He shall not be stopped. He shall sit on his throne. He shall not be overturned, undone, conquered. He shall rise. And when he rises, he will bring all of his people with him. And he will put down every one of his foes. He will reign. Look at some of these other verses that bring this theme out. Look at verse 11 and 12. The Lord gives the word. The women who announce the news are, are a great host. The kings of the armies, they flee, they flee. Verse 14. When the Almighty scatters kings there, let snow fall on Zalman. Look at verses 15 through 17. O mountain of God, mountain of Bashan, O many-peaked mountain, mountain of Bashan, why do you look with hatred, O many-peaked mountain, at the mount that God desired for his abode? Yes, where the Lord will dwell forever. The chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now in the sanctuary. Verses 29 through 31. Because of your temple at Jerusalem, kings shall, bring, shall bear gifts to you. Rebuke the beasts that dwell among the reeds, the herd of bulls with the cows of the people. Trample underfoot those who lust after tribute. Scatter the peoples who delight in war. Nobles shall come from Egypt. Cush shall hasten to stretch out her hands to God. He will bring every ounce of his creation into submission to his authority. 
The enemies of God have a day. Those who defy God and scoff at the truth of Scripture, they have a season. The mockers of God that belittle the Lord and faith and Christ and salvation and truth, they have a say. The forces of evil take a stand. But God shall arise. And when he does, they will all bow beneath the power of the Almighty. He will absolutely just scatter them with his very presence. Therefore, since God shall arise, and when he rises, save his people, quell his foes, there is only one way to respond to this king. Now, don't fight him any longer. Mighty to him who rides in the heavens, the, the ancient heavens, behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. Ascribe power to God, whose majesty is over Israel, whose power is in the skies. Awesome is God from his sanctuary, the God of Israel. He is the one who gives power and strength to his people. Blessed be God. Blessed be God. One, one other note about this psalm, and we're going we're, we're to look at just a couple of scriptures alongside this. In conjunction with these three themes, just as this psalm foretells the resurrection of Christ and, and the redemption of all of God's people and the power of God that will crush all of his foes, it does that, it says... With just a word. Christ achieves all of this with just a word. All of the evil of hell and all of the arrayed forces of men who deny God will fall flat with just a word. All of the might of the kingdoms of this earth will bow before God in judgment and Submission with just a word. Look at verse, first part of verse 11. The Lord gives the word. We just, he just ushers the command and it happens. Look at verse, last part of verse 33. Behold, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice. All the Lord has to do to bring all this to completion is just to say, let it be. That's, that's all he did to create it all to begin with, right? Let there be light, and there it was. Let the lights in the heavens and the lights and, uh, rule the day and rule the night, and there they were. Let the earth be divided, and there it was. Let the earth bring forth vegetation. Let the seas be filled with, with all kinds of creatures in life. And there they were. He just has to say it. And Jesus demonstrated that. He kind of foreshadowed that, didn't he? The power of, just, of God just speaking. Look with me in, in John chapter 18. John chapter 18, verses 4 through 6. 
you probably remember this story of the arrest of Jesus. So they're coming to arrest Jesus. The soldiers are coming. Verse 4, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. He just spoke. He just gave the word. Now that prophecy in, in, in Psalm 68, the Lord will give the word. He, he sends out his voice, his mighty voice, that Jesus foreshadows that he pictures in John 18 comes to complete fruition, culmination in Revelation 19. So if you want to look with me in Revelation 19, this will be the last verse we look at tonight. Last few verses we look at tonight. Revelation 19, 11 through 16 then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. This is Christ. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth, here it is, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He will just simply speak. And it will be as if a mighty sword levels the entire field. So what else can we do? But believe and rejoice in God, our salvation. Let's pray. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens.